Do y'all know what today is? It's Super Bowl Sunday. So if you want to hear a message on love, you're in the wrong place. I'm just telling you, y'all in the wrong place this morning. Go Eagles. I'm telling you, look, I, I, you know what? We need to talk about what's important. We need to talk about what? Oh, the Chiefs. Who wants to see Alabama play the Chiefs? Oh, you won't see me do a cheer. You have lost your mind. I ain't doing it. Y'all are so dumb. I got work to do, man. I can't do this. I got work to do. I might throw a, throw a hammy or slip a disc or something. I can't do, can't do that. Listen. Right. I ain't trying to disrespect Valentine's Day. It's very important. Guys, you got two days to go get your flyers and your chocolates. Get them to your spouse. Wherever. I don't care where you get them. She does. Um, listen, y'all got two days. Valentine's Day is important. You got two days. But today we're talking about what's really important, right? Most people, most people, whether you like football or not, watch the Super Bowl, right? Watch it for the commercials. How many of y'all watch it for the commercials? Now, how many of you have been sorely disappointed over the past couple of years with the commercials, right? Amen. Me too. I watch it for them. So how many of you are pulling for the Chiefs tonight? Come on, where are my Chief people at? All right, how many of you are pulling for the Eagles tonight? All right, there we go. How many of you don't care? Uh, you know, it's an exciting day today, guys. Listen, we're going to have the family over. We're all going to... Hang out, eat some food, watch the Super Bowl. But if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to get to Colossians chapter 3 in just a minute. Okay? You know the Apostle Paul, he drew an analogy between sports all the time. Right? He drew an analogy between sports. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. He drew an analogy between running and winning a trophy. Amen? Winning a, a prize, just like what they're trying to win tonight at the Super Bowl. He said this in verse 25. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25. He says, we're working. He says, we're striving. We're doing this, right? And we're doing what we do to win an incorruptible crown. He said, he, listen, listen. He said this. He said, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we do it an incorruptible, right? We do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. So it's very biblical. Paul constantly used illustrations of modern things like sports to draw spiritual truths. And I'm going to do that today. Is that okay? Is that okay? We ain't talking about love. I'm about the love of Jesus. We're going to do that, okay? I'm going to do that today. I want to teach you some things that maybe you've probably never learned and hopefully you'll never forget. And I got one little amen out of that. I'm going to teach you all some things today that maybe you've never known and hopefully you never forget. Y'all ready? All right. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win tonight, Lord. Father, we know. Lord, we do love you. And we do thank you for your word, God. We thank you that we can have fun. And God, we just pray, Father, right now that your word does not return void this morning. 
God, we just ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. The Super Bowl that will be taking place tonight in Arizona is the 57th Super Bowl. I had to look that up because I think we're getting a little bit too high. These Roman numerals are just jacking me all the way up. That they got like an L, a V, an X, and three. Like, can we just go to regular numbers, please? Can we just put five, seven? I mean, at this point, the Roman numerals ain't even cool anymore. Like, I literally had to Google what is L, X, V, one woman. I'm just being honest. It's the 57th Super Bowl. It's between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be an amazing game for sure. The key to the game of football is to move the ball toward the end zone. I mean, I don't care if you've ever watched football. I'm going to teach you something today. The key to the game of football is to move the ball towards the end zone in increments of 10 yards. Amen? And increments of 10 yards. You get four downs or tries to get 10 yards. And then they do what's called moving the chains. Everybody say first and 10. Everybody now say first and 10. Okay, that's better. So you got to get a first down, and then you go 10 yards, you get a... And then they move the chains, right? There's a set of chains or markers on the sidelines that represent 10 yards. Y'all follow me so far? Where's my football novices at, Buck? Uh... Right there you go. Okay. As long as you're following me. Listen, if you want to win a football game, you got to keep moving the chains. Amen? If you want to win a football game, you got to keep moving the chains. You got to keep going. You got to keep moving the chains. You have to go in the right direction toward the end zone, and then the end zone is where you find victory. You got to keep moving the chains toward the end zones where you find your victory. And the spiritual application is the same, right? It's true in our life. Guys, listen, this is not a race to the finish, but it's one step at a time. That's what our spiritual walk is. It's not a race to the finish. It's one step at a time. Amen? Listen to this. It's a continual journey. But the key to our walk with the Lord and the key to football is to keep moving in the right direction. Amen? The key is to keep moving in the right direction. But if you don't obey the rule books of the NFL, then a referee or official will have a penalty flag thrown on you. There, there it is. Where's my official at? Right there. I got pictures of this man. He's the best M-H-A-S-A-A official there is right there. I know who you are, Mr. Schmidt. Can I tell you, we have a rule book in our Christian life Amen? And in our Christian walk, we got a rule book too, and it's called the Word of God. And if you get a penalty flag thrown on you, which all the officials have, all the officials have them, right? If you get one of them, it means that you broke the rules in the rule book of the NFL. And instead of the chains being moved forward toward the end zone, they're going in the opposite direction. Are y'all following me? Y'all know how football's played? If you break a rule, a penalty flag is thrown, and instead of your chains being moved toward the end zone where victory is, your chains are being moved in the opposite direction. They're going the opposite direction of where you're destined to be. They're going in the opposite direction of where victory is at. Amen? 
So when you break the rules, the flag falls. Come on. The flag falls. A penalty is assessed and given to the team that broke the rules. And suddenly, instead of moving forward, they're moving backwards. They're going the wrong way. Okay? One of the main penalties that can happen is the penalty of holding. Look at this. It's the penalty of holding. One of the main penalties that can happen. It's not that you can't hold. As a matter of fact, they have five seconds of grace. Look at this next one right here. They have five seconds of grace. It's not that you can't hold, but they have five seconds of grace. Listen to this. They can grab somebody's shirt. Here, show this next one real quick. They can grab somebody's shirt right here, and they can hold them, and they can try to slow them down, and they can try to impede them catching the pass or, or whatever, but they can only hold them for five seconds per the rule book of the NFL. All right? They can grab them. They can try to move them. But they can, they, they can try to hinder them from getting open to catch the pass. Amen? Listen. But they can't hold on too long. Or you get a penalty. Right? Can't hold on too long. If you hold on too long, there's going to be a flag. And then the chains are going to be moving in the wrong direction further and further and further from where you're supposed to be. All right, y'all following? That's why the Bible talks about this in Colossians 3, 5. Look at this. That therefore, that you are to put to death your members which are on the earth. And it lists a bunch of sins. Guys, listen to this. It says you are to put them or release these things. Don't hold on to them. No holding. It says this, you're supposed to release these things. Listen to this. He lists fornication, uncleanness, passionness. Passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, you can't hold on to these things. See, when you get saved, there are rules in this book right here. Amen? When you get saved, there's rules in this book right here that say you can't hold on to unforgiveness. Or you're going to get a penalty flag on you. You can't hold on to bitterness. You can't hold on to immorality. You can't hold on to all the filth and uncleanness and all this stuff that Colossians chapter 3 talks about. Amen? You're going to get a penalty flag on you. He said, you have to let that stuff go. See, when I think about holding on, I think about what John Bevere wrote in his book called The Bait of Satan. Has anyone ever read that book? It's called The Bait of Satan. John Bevere wrote this, and, and, and he tells how they capture monkeys in the jungle. And he says they put a trap out, and it's got a little bitty hole. And this monkey has to try to get his hand in this little hole. And what they'll do is they'll put a big chunk of fruit inside this trap. And this monkey has to weasel his hand in inside this little hole and he'll reach down there and he'll grab that big old piece of fruit, right? And he'll hold on to the fruit and he can't get his hand out of that hole because he's holding that big piece of fruit, right? He tries to pull it out, he can't get his hand through it. And they said, what they said in this book is what, what amazing is, is that the monkey will see the captors coming for him. He'll see them coming with cages and stuff to take him away, to do something to him, to do whatever, right? But he won't release the bait. All he's got to do is drop it. That's all he's got to do, pull his hand out. But he won't release the bait, right? And his point of this book is that offense is the bait of Satan. Amen? Offense is the bait of Satan. And if you hold on to that hurt, if you hold on to that bitterness, if you hold on to that grudge, what you're doing is you're holding on to the bait of Satan, and the enemy is going to use that. Amen? 
the enemy is going to use that. He's going to come. He's going to chain you. He's going to bind you. He can defeat you. And on top of that, you're going to get penalized. And it's going to cost you something. You're going to get penalized. And then it's going to take you away from the blessings that God had for you in your life. Amen? Are y'all following me this morning? You're going to get a penalty flag thrown on you if you don't drop the bait. And then I thought about another penalty. I thought about this. I thought about another penalty that you'll see. It's called unsportsmanlike conduct. Look at this, unsportsmanlike conduct. Look at that. It's found in Colossians 3.8. I want you to listen to this. But now you yourselves are to put, everybody say put off. Now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Catch this, filthy language out of your mouth. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Huh? Y'all didn't know that was in the Bible. Do you know that if you cuss, heaven takes a big old penalty flag? Oh, yeah. It's right there in the Bible. Heaven takes a big old penalty flag and throws it down and says, that's going to cost you something. Thank goodness I ain't said a cuss word all day. The day's still early, but I'm doing okay right now. I'm playing. Everybody's like, ah. He says, if you cuss, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have a big old penalty flag dropped on you, and it's going to cost you something. Anger, wrath, getting all angry, getting, getting furious, and, and having temper tantrums, and, and cussing people out. And you go to a little peewee ball game, and, and somebody calls a strike on your little darling. And then you want to sit and talk about his mother and call his mama all kind of names and all this stuff. And they know you're an usher at Restoration Church. They know you're on the worship team. Come on, y'all. Yeah, oh boy, somebody. That's a penalty. It's going to cost you something. Amen? It's going to cost you something. And I want to say to you young people, there's something you're going to see on the football, players tonight is called a mouth guard. Where y'all at? Y'all better look up, look up here. I'm telling you, it's called a mouth guard. And I know the peer pressure's on. I get it. If you're a teenager, you got to cuss if you want to fit in. You got to say the F word if you want to fit in. You got to do all this and do all that and blankety, blankety, blank, 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 blank. I get it. But I'm going to tell you something. God wants to give you a mouth guard. God wants to protect you from all that stuff coming out of your mouth. You hear me? I'm telling y'all right now, people are going to notice when you don't use filthy words. People are going to notice when you don't use filthy words. They notice the change in you. Amen? They notice what's going on. They notice there's something different about you when you've got your mouth guard in. Amen. Y'all ain't even awake this morning, are you? It's Super Bowl Sunday. And if I'm not going to say it, I guess I probably ought not be listening to it either. Ouch. If I ain't going to say it, I guess I ought not be listening to it either. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You don't 
know what victories God has for you. You don't know what blessings. You don't know what opportunities. You don't know what God has set up down the field for you. Amen? If you would have just kept going in the right direction, but instead, it's going to cost you something. You're going to get a penalty flag thrown on you. You have no idea what God had in store for you if you would have just kept going in the right direction. But here you are. You're going the wrong way. Your chains are going backwards. This stuff matters, guys. Come on. This stuff matters. Dang it. Y'all was wanting a love message, wasn't you? Another penalty I think of, another penalty that I think about is out of bounds. Out of bounds. Right? It's another penalty I think about because the Word of God, it does put boundaries on our life. Amen? The Word of God puts boundaries on our life. And there are lines that you're not supposed to cross. Amen? Honor your father and your mother. Don't cross that line. Amen? Don't cross that line. And I think of the lines of marriage and, and the lines of honoring one another in marriage, the, the lines that we cross. God sees those lines and those lines of morality and those lines of modesty and, and, and all this stuff in our life. And, and God says, don't cross those lines. Amen? Don't cross that line of reveling and partying and drugs and smoking dope just because everybody else is doing it. You're on a mission. Amen? You have a mission. And I want to see you get to the victory that God has destined for you, but you got to keep moving in the right direction. God's going to throw a penalty flag on you. You got a mission. And I'm telling you, it's going to cost you something. This stuff will cost you something. Amen? Your chains are going to be moving in the wrong direction. Amen? Come on, y'all. 36 years ago. 36 years ago, the sport, the sports world, the, the, the sport of football was changed forever. 36 years ago. September the 7th, 1986, something called instant replay was used for the first time in an NFL football game. The Chicago Bears were playing the Cleveland Browns. How many of you never heard of that team? Huh? There's a reason. They never win. This will be the last time you'll hear of them too for a long time. The Cleveland Browns. <laughs> They're horrible. Come on. They're horrible. You'll get a little peewee team and beat them, y'all. Come on. Let's just be truthful about it. All right. Y'all ain't. Some of y'all must be Cleveland fans. Let's move on. Listen, so the Cleveland Browns and the Chicago Bears are playing. It didn't take long to use instant replay 36 years ago. 36 years ago, I don't know, 36 years ago, it was the third play of the game. Chicago had the ball, and somehow they had been pushed all the way back to their own end zone, right? There was a mess up with the snap, and the quarterback dropped the ball, and one of the Cleveland Browns recovered the ball, but the official on the field ruled that the ball was dead. For the first time in history, the third play of the game, they used instant replay, and when they went behind the veil, look at this. Uh, and when they went behind the veil. See, because the instant replay boxes back then had veils. 
so they could go in and see. Look, I think there's another picture. Show me another picture. They would go in and see. They would look. And, and the lights wouldn't be on the camera. And they could see better. Amen? So they would go back behind the veil. And they would look. And when they went behind the veil, they saw the same play that the officials saw on the field just from a different angle in slow motion. Come on, y'all. If you don't know where I'm going with this, they saw the same thing that the officials saw on the field just in slow motion and from a different angle. And sure enough, it was absolutely a fumble and it was a touchdown for the Cleveland Browns. The point that I'm making is this. The purpose of the replay booth is to make sure that the call is correct. Amen? Here's the point. Because after all, referees do make mistakes. And the idea is to erase human error and get the call right. The idea, come on, okay, let's clap for that. The idea is to erase human error. And get the call right. And I want you to understand that this is what the replay booth is where, where the referee sees the play from different angles and, and different speeds and, and different ways that the officials see it down on the field. So they can slow it down. They can speed it up. They can look at all the replays. They can, they can see all this stuff. And they want to make sure that the call is correct over that person. Amen? So there's a TV monitor in there. There's a curtain. He goes up under that curtain and he sees something. And it reminds me of the Old Testament high priest. Amen. He would go behind the veil. He would go back behind that person, uh, that, that, that curtain. And the people had erred. The people had sinned. Amen. And that high priest, he would go behind that curtain. And there was something called the mercy seat. Listen, and instead of seeing the people for their sins and their errors, when he would go behind the veil... He would sit and look at them through the mercy seat and he would come out and he would see them from God's angle. He didn't see them from the error of human. He didn't see them from the sins that they made. He would go behind the veil and he would come out and he would see them from God's angle. Amen. He would see them from God's angle. He had seen them through the blood that was on the mercy seat and he didn't give them judgment. Amen. He didn't see them with judgment, but he would come out and he would say, I know you think you deserve judgment, but after further review, everybody say after further review, he would come out from behind the veil and he would say, I, you, you deserve judgment, but after further review, and that's what the referee will say. He'll come out from behind that curtain, he'll watch the replay, and He'll turn his little microphone on and he'll say, after further review, amen, he'll come out of there, turn his little microphone on. He'll say, after further review, the ball was a fumble. It was a fumble. After further review, his feet were inside the bounds. After further review, it was a touchdown. Amen. And that's what God does for us. When he goes behind the veil, come on. That's what he does for us. 
And he looks at it through the angle and the lenses of Calvary. He looks at it through the angles and the lenses of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross for you. And suddenly, it really doesn't matter what all the people are screaming in the stands. Really doesn't matter what the drunk guy's saying to you. Amen? Really doesn't mean nothing what they're saying and what their opinion is of you. But what really matters is how he sees you behind the veil. Come on. That's what really matters. It's how he sees you behind the veil. And he sees you through the blood. And he sees you through the mercy. And then he comes out and he says, after further review. Everybody say, after further review. Thank you. After further review. Ah, I call you blessed. I call you chosen. Woo, I call you my child. I call you forgiven. I call you favored. Can somebody thank God for another view this morning? These words, after further review, can alter an entire football game. These words, after further review, can alter your entire life. After further review. After further review. Because the enemy would love to convince you today that you've gone too far, that you've sinned too much, that you've messed up too bad, that God can never, ever, ever use you again. But I'm preaching today that when Jesus died on that cross, the veil, the curtain was torn in two. Look at this scripture right here in Matthew 27. Look at this. It says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Amen. Upon further review. Come on, y'all. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And there's mercy available for you. Whew. After further review, God's grace is greater than your guilt. God's forgiveness is greater than your failure. And God's mercy is greater than your mistakes. Upon further review, upon further review, rejoice not over me, O my enemies. Though I have fallen, I shall rise again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because God still sees me through mercy. Everybody shout mercy. mercy. Aren't you glad for mercy? Man, if you get in behind the curtain, if you get behind that veil that the high priest would go behind, there was the mercy seat. What they called the mercy seat. Look at this in Exodus 25. God said this. He said, and there I will meet thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. That word commune is the word in which we get the word communicate from. Amen? He says, right there is where I'll meet you. Right there is where I'm going to communicate from you. But you know what's interesting? That as they arrested Jesus and they took him to Pilate's judgment hall, he didn't say a word. Do you notice that? Notice that if you come and approach him through mercy though he says that's where I will meet you that's where I will communicate with you they drug him to Pilate's judgment hall and he never said a word right you know we need more Christians to get off the judgment hall and get on the mercy seat <laughs> come on somebody we need more Christians to get out of the judgment hall and get on the mercy seat and then he's going to be able to communicate with you He's going to be able to meet with you. He's going to be able to hang out with you. Get off the judgment seat. Amen. Come on, y'all.
Just approach him for mercy. When I think about mercy, I think about the fact that I should have been excluded. I should have been excluded. I shouldn't be preaching. I crossed way too many lines. I promise you, I should have been disqualified from even preaching the gospel. Amen? But when I think about mercy, but upon further review, hallelujah. But thank God that there was a God who went behind the veil and looked at me from a different angle through mercy. The same way that he's looking at y'all. Upon further review, mm. the Bible says goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mm. And the Bible says this in Lamentations 3.23, that his mercy is renewed every morning. Hallelujah. That is some, that's a great place to shout right there. That his mercy are new every morning. Every morning. What a blessing. The purpose of the replay booth, guys, is to make sure the call is correct on the field. And the purpose of God's mercy and grace is to make sure the call is correct on your life. Amen? On your life. You don't get disqualified. That somebody can't disqualify you. Your critics can't disqualify you. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this. says it's the giftings and the callings of the Lord are irrevocable. Amen. Do you know what that means? That the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That people cannot disqualify you. That's what that means. That God has put something in your life that is irrevocable that can't be taken away. Oh, y'all don't understand what I'm telling you. When God says something, that this is how it is. Amen. When God says something, this is how it is. It doesn't really matter what your critics say about it. Amen. When he goes behind the veil and it gets covered in the blood, it gets covered in the blood and God sees you from a different angle. He sees you from angles that people can't see you from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He sees you from different angles. He's looking at you. Man, y'all got to get a hold of this. I'm thankful for that today, aren't you? I'm thankful for that because some things are not as they appear. I'm going to say, some things are not as they appear. John chapter 9, the Bible says there was a man blind from birth. Jesus was passing by this man in verse 2 of John chapter 9. Jesus is walking by this guy. Here we are. Notice the immediate approach of the disciples. They were in the judgment hall instead of on the mercy seat. Amen? Look at what they said. Notice the approach of the disciples. This is what they said. They said, Rabbi, come on, can I tell you something? They should have seen him from a different angle. The mercy of God on somebody's life. They said, Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Right? Why is he blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born to be blind? Completely judgmental. Amen? Why is he blind? You know what Jesus said? Neither. I love how Jesus is so cool. And he just looks at him and says, neither. Shut up. Neither. 
Love how Jesus spoke to people like that. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Check this out. But this happened that the works of God should be revealed. Get off your judgment seat. Paul, Peter, signed all of them. That's what he said. He said, neither. Stop judging this man because he's blind. That's not what happened. He's like this so the works of God will be revealed. Amen? Come on, y'all. In other words, what he was saying is don't judge him. You put him down because he's blind. But look at what 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 says. Judge nothing before it's time. Look at it. It says judge nothing before it's time. And then it gives when the time is. What does it say? When? Until the Lord comes. Judge nothing before it's time. So I've just made up my mind. There's some people I'm just not going to judge no more. Amen? I'm never going to give up on them until the Lord comes back. There you go. And if you've got a family member that ain't living right, maybe you got somebody in your life that's acting all crazy, don't give up on them. Don't judge them before their time. Because when the Lord comes, he's going to take care of them. Amen? And if you'll hold on to his promise, I'm just not going to give up on nobody. I'm not going to write anybody off. I'm not going to judge anybody before their time. They assumed this man was blind because he was a sinner, because he was born into sin and he was this. And Jesus said, neither, neither. He's like this so the works of God can be revealed to the world. Amen. Judge nothing before his time. Yeah. You know, work means employment. Do you know that? So that the works of God may be revealed. Do you know that work means employment? In other words, Jesus was saying, I got him on a job interview. He said, I got him on a job interview. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know why he's like this? I got him going through this to build his resume. Woo! Come on, y'all. Because I'm going to use the handicap. I'm going to use the pain. I'm going to use the sorrow. I'm going to use the difficulty, the disadvantages that he's been through. So don't judge him before his time. Amen. Don't judge him before his time. He may look like a loser. He may look like a failure. Hello. He may look like a loser. And he may look like a failure. And it may look like he messed up. And it may look like your son is running around out there on drugs. And it may look like your daughter has way gone out there in left field and she's done lost her mind. But don't you judge them before the time. Amen. Don't. Let the Lord take care of it. You just keep going behind the veil and seeing them from a different angle. Upon further review, you just go behind the veil. Just keep going behind the veil and seeing them from a different angle. Hallelujah. See them through the blood of Jesus. Some things just aren't as they seem. Amen? Now, here's the point I want to make. Every coach in the NFL has one of these. You know what that is? Huh? The officials have a yellow flag, but every coach in the NFL has one of these. This is the red flag of challenge. Huh? <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going with this and that. At any point in the ball game, a coach can throw this down. And that means that the game stops immediately and they have to go to review because the coach will think something happened that didn't really happen or something happened that they didn't call, whatever. So as soon as the coach drops this, 
the game stops immediately. They go to instant replay. Amen? And they want to make sure that they saw it right. Amen? Red flag comes out. means something needs to be reviewed. That's what it means. Sometimes Satan lifts his ugly head in our lives and our families. Satan lifts his ugly head in our homes. And he acts like he's so strong and so powerful and so mighty. But that's when you have to take the red flag out because it's been dipped in the blood of Jesus. Come on, y'all. You got to take this red flag out because it's been dipped in the blood of Jesus. And you have to challenge the authority of Satan in your life. You have to challenge the authority of Satan in your home, in your marriage, in your finances, in your ministry, in your business. And you got to challenge that. And you got to say, hold on, wait a minute. That's not, that, that's not what I saw. You got to challenge that. Wait a minute. That's not what I saw in Isaiah 14. Look at this in 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. You've fallen and you can't get up. How you are fallen, how you are cut down. Then he goes on to say this. Look at this. You are the one who weakened the nations. Verse 16 says, look, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? This little weak thing right here. You better pull out your challenge flag and challenge the authority of Satan in your life. This little weak thing right here, he ain't done nothing. You know everything isn't as you think it is. Some people think Samson was this big, massive, you know, monster of a guy in the Bible. I don't think he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger and The Rock or Jamie Smith. Or, I mean, we're all the same. We're all the same. I don't think that Samson was built like that. I don't. Things aren't what they seem. They're not always as they seem. Listen, if you could see Satan, he tries to act like he's so big and, and so mighty and like he, he's co-equal with God. But notice what the text says. Look at Isaiah 14, 17. It says, are you the one who didn't? Pull that, pull that up real quick. Are you the one that did? Go to the next one. Right here. Come on. Are you the one who didn't even open up the house of his prisoners? That's what he said, this weak little bitty thing. Are you the one that kept me on drugs? Are you the one that kept my marriage in bondage? Are you the one that's, that's doing all this? Stuff? You pitiful, weak little thing. Are you serious? I challenge your authority. You old puny little weak thing. I forgot that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I challenge the authority of Satan. I'm telling you, listen. I forgot. I challenge your authority. Amen. If God be for me, who can be against me? I challenge your authority. They that are with me are greater than they that are against me. Amen. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Amen. Amen. I love the fact that Rahab... Saw the enemy trying, read it in Joshua 2, Rahab saw the enemy trying to destroy her family. She had made horrible choices and decisions. She was a prostitute. They had sent a couple spies into the promised land, specifically Jericho, and she hid them. She hid the spies. And she said to the spies, she said, I'll let you hide if you'll make me a deal. And they said, sure, you got it. What you got? 
She said, I want my whole family saved. I want my whole family saved. Read it, Joshua chapter 2. She said, I want my whole family saved. She didn't ask for money. I love that. She didn't ask for herself. She didn't ask for money. She didn't ask for possessions. She didn't ask about titles. She said, when your army invades, I have one prayer request. I want my family, every single one of them spared. I know they're supposed to carry the stigma of my immorality out from generation to generation to generation. I know they're supposed to carry my addiction out from generation to generation to generation. But I'm ready to throw down a challenge. Rahab said, I'm throwing down a challenge. That's what she said. She said, my family will not carry the, the stigma of my disgrace and sexual immorality anymore because the blood of Jesus changes everything. The blood of Jesus changes everything. Come on, I feel like preaching right now. I'm almost done. But I feel like preaching to you. I want to tell you, I don't care what your family background is. I don't care if you were abused, if you were hurt, you've been through brokenness, you've been through dysfunction, you've been through all this stuff. Because when the blood of Jesus gets applied in your life, amen, when the blood of Jesus gets applied to that house, when the blood of Jesus gets applied to your home, a sanctified house is what it is. Prove it. I will. Look at Matthew. Look right here in Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 5. It says right here, it says there's a little name in the genealogy, in the genealogy of Jesus, and her name is Rahab. Do you hear me? Because she challenged the authority of the enemy, and the blood of Jesus changed everything. She was in the genealogy of Jesus, that messed up, dysfunctional family people ended up in the genealogy of Jesus. Amen? Because Rahab had a great-great-grandson named David who became the king of Israel. David, come on, y'all, had a great-great-great-great-granddaughter named Mary, and Mary had a little lamb. And his name was Jesus. Amen? And by her making a decision, she ended up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can we give her some praise for that? Thank you, Jesus. Let's go. You've got to do better than that. Woo! There's nothing in your past more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. I'm enjoying myself. You know, I don't even care if y'all like my preaching. I like it. <laughs> I'm having a good time with it. Y'all wanted a love series today, didn't you? Huh? We got to wrap up here because they got kids upstairs. Listen, I like it. Ain't the word of God the truth? Ain't the word of God the truth? Listen to this. Peter's a liar, a denier, a cusser, a backslider. But upon further review, he's the voice of Pentecost. Come on, y'all. Moses is a murderer. He runs to the wilderness, a coward. But upon further review, I see a deliverer through the blood of Jesus, God said. Abraham's a liar. Oh, yeah, he lied to the king. King seen his wife. She was pretty. Oh, that's my sister, take her. Oh, dude, that's kind of weird, but he was a luster. He had a baby by his handmaid. But upon further review, he was the father of the faith. 
That old demonic cutting himself, worshiping demons, talking to demons, demons talking through him. He was crazy. He was demon-possessed. But upon further review, he's going to be a missionary for the entire region of the Gardenias. Come, come on, y'all, you hear me? He was going to be a missionary of the Gadarenes, and then they're going to come near and far, and they're going to see him sitting at the feet of Jesus, all clothed and in his right mind. But upon further review, whoo, judge no thing before it's time. Jesus knows how to change things. And upon further review, I'm going to use that thing that the devils are using. Upon further review, you know David was terrible. He was a bloody man. He killed people. He cut the foreskins off of 300 men for the fun of it. Read your Bible. If you don't know what that is, look it up. That's all I'm going to say about it. He was mean. He was violent. Not only that, he committed adultery. He walked out on the balcony and saw a UFO, an unclothed female object. And he lusted after her, had an affair with her. And when the husband was about to find out, he had the husband killed. And he got the girl pregnant and never told anybody. But upon further review, God says, yes, I see that, but this is a man after my own heart. But upon further review, he said, I can transform him. I can change him. So I close with this point. I did it. It's 11.15. When it's all said and done, the only opinion that matters, the only voice that has the final say-so over your life and over your calling is the man with the stripes. Come on, you better do better than that. Y'all better do better than that. The one who has the final say-so is the man with the stripes. You may have some big old drunk guy up in the stands calling you names, shouting at you, saying this and that, but the final say-so in your life, the thing that's going to stand is what does the man in stripes Say, the call is over my life. Amen. Your critics don't control the call over your life. Your opposition, your past does not have the ability to define the call of God over your life. The only one who has the authority to decide the call of your life is the man in stripes. The only one. And he's found in Isaiah 53, 5. He's found in Isaiah. Everybody read this. Let's read it together. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Here it is. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. Come on. Come on. That's the final call. I don't care what kind of report you got. The striped man has the final say-so over your life. Clap your hands and give him some praise for me. Has the final say-so over your life. The stripes and the blood of Jesus has the final say and call over your family, over your marriage, over your life. Man does it. Denominations does it. No one else does. The man with the stripes says, my gift and my calling is irrevocable. 
He says, my gift and my calling on your life is irrevocable. God's still going to use you. Matter of fact, he's going to use you even more. Come on. And what happened to you, he's going to work for his glory. Let's stand to our feet all around this room. Please don't move. Please don't move. Give me a couple more minutes. Something great is about to happen in this room. Stay where you're at. I've got one more penalty. Listen, I've got one more penalty and I've got one more point. Okay, here it is. Look up here. Look up here. Everybody look at me. One of the stupidest penalties, senseless, really, that you can get is delay a game. Delay a game. You just took too long to decide. You just took too long. And there's a lot of people that are going to go to hell. Not because they were too bad to go to heaven, but because they just took too long. Amen. They kept saying one day, someday, when I get older, or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And you don't know. You don't know. We had a funeral yesterday. You don't know that the whole time the chains are getting moved further and further and further away from where you're supposed to be. You don't know that your destiny is getting further and further down the other end of the field. And before you know it, it's just not as easy to get back as you thought it was. But today is the day of salvation. Amen. This is the moment. This is the service where God's saying, let go of some things that if you don't let go of, it's going to kill you. Amen. Come running. I think God's favorite player is the running back. Come running back. Come running back to him. Say, Jesus, I'm ready. Say, Jesus, I'm ready. Don't delay the game. With every head bowed and every eye closed across this room. If you're in here this morning and you say, I've been delaying this game long enough. Don't let it cost you something. Keep going in the right direction. Maybe you backslidden. Maybe you've never really even accepted Jesus into your heart. I want to ask you right now all across this room, don't delay the game anymore. Raise your hand. Raise your hand right now all across this room. We see those hands. We see them. More importantly, God sees them. Don't delay the game any longer. You never know. You never know. So everyone repeat this after me and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you for your blood and thank you for your mercy. Come into my heart, Jesus, and change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, right now. 
God, is for, for everything and for every hand that was raised, Lord. We pray right now, God, in Jesus' name, as we close with this song, Lord, that we give you the best praise and the best worship that you've heard all day, God. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen.